Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to dive in there in just a moment. Let's pray together, please, though. Holy Father, we uh, acknowledge your presence in this place. We submit ourselves to you. This church is your church. The church is your church for your honor. And so today we pray that the thoughts that we have would be your thoughts, that we would hear what you would have us to hear, see what you'd have us to see, so that we could be the people that you've, who you've created us to be. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Roger Clemens pitched three perfect innings. It was 1986. It was the all-star game. He pitched three per perfect innings against the best batters in the National League. Asked for, you know, what he credited his great pitching to that day, he said confidence. Confidence that came from the fact that his first at major league at bat was the 1986, was that world, was that all-star game. He stepped in against the best, arguably the best pitcher in the National League, Dwight Gooden, who is the past year's Cy Young Award winner. Uh, Doc Gooden didn't waste any pitches on him. The first pitch was just, it was uh, it was smoke down the middle and, and uh, scared the willies out of Roger Clemens. He stepped back and Gary Carter was the catcher at the time. He said, Gary, is that how my pitches look? Gary Carter said, yep, they sure do. He proceeded to strike out quite quickly and then he got back on the mound and completed his perfect innings. Why? Because he said once he realized how frightening his, the, that fastball was, he said he pitched with greater confidence than ever before. It is hard for us to overestimate the value of confidence. Business leaders will call it a superpower. Leaders with confidence are able to dream and achieve. They're able to lead people much better than people without confidence. Helen Keller said, nothing can be done without hope and confidence. Psychologists point out that confident people have far less anxiety and fear, but they have increased motivation, greater resilience, and healthier relationships. And boy, we need confidence today. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. As a baseball coach, I found that to be so true. Now, if anybody ought to play this life with confidence, you would think it would be Christians. 
David wrote in the Old Testament, if God be for me, who can be against me? Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The Apostle Paul would say in Philippians, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And yet it seems like Christians are suffering from a crisis of confidence in our day. People of the world would do, have been quite effective actually to buffalo, to, um, to, to, to gaslight, to make f- people feel like the, like the Bible is, is wrong, like you know, they, they, they speak of the church with self-loathing. They look at their own faith with self-doubt. God would have so much more for us. What difference would we see in our lives if we actually saw ourselves with the confidence that God has in us? As Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a confidence problem in Corinth. There's some false teachers who've come into the church who have tried to undermine the church's confidence in Paul. And so Paul responds in the first six verses here by sharing with them where true confidence is found. What difference could God make in your life? How different would your life be? How much more joyful? How much more would you accomplish if you really saw yourself through God's eyes with the confidence that he has in you? Well, let's take a look. Paul j- kind of jumps in. We will jump in here in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul kind of begins in the negative. He says, um, let me tell you where confidence is not going to be found. Verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul says the first place, if you want to find confidence, don't find confidence in self-promotion. Don't find confidence by trying to impress other people and finding confidence in what other people think about you. It's just not to be found. In those days, credibility was often found by people carrying around letters of recommendation. So if Paul, for instance, as a minister, they were expecting that he maybe would go to somebody like James, leader in the church in Jerusalem, or Peter, somebody who's well-known, and say, hey, would you give me a letter of recommendation? And they would write things down like, oh, this is a great teacher. Oh, listen to him. Oh, we think he's the greatest. And so Paul would go around. You would think the the idea would be Paul would go around with these letters of recommendation. People would read these letters of commendation and think, ooh, ah, aren't you impressive? But Paul didn't do that. And so as a result, reading between the lines, it seems like these false teachers were going and saying, how can you have confidence in Paul? Where are his letters of recommendation? You know, he, he needs to prove himself by credibility from others. Paul says, do I really need to impress you with boastful references? I spent 18 months planting the church there with you. Didn't you see what God did? Haven't you experienced how God has changed your life through our ministry together? How common it is to, that today, though, for people to try to build their confidence by building an image by impressing others and getting others to think good things about them. I read a couple of articles about this. There's one article said, 10 self-promotion tips, techniques to boost your career. It recommended share your accomplishments, promote your expertise, make sure you get credit for your contributions, look for opportunities to promote yourself. 
Another article said, display awards, your awards and, and certificates in prominent places where people can see. Be seen in the office. Praise others. Be interesting in conversations. Make sure you are part of the winning projects. Kind of thing. Now, um, let me be really clear. I know that it's easy on Sunday morning to think, oh, how silly that people would do that. Young people, when you see other people getting an advantage because they are better at promoting themselves than you are, you're going to get tempted to think, well, I need to be self-promoting too. But the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 2, let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. Paul says, I'm not going to promote myself. I don't need letters of recommendation. There's not security found in that. I think there's several reasons why finding confidence in the approval of others through our self-promotion is actually going to lead to a lack of confidence. And one is that people are so unreliable their opinions change or can be wrong. Anything you can read by John Wooden, the former coach of UCLA basketball, um, is worth reading. Christian man. He writes a lot about confidence. He says, you can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. It's a weakness. You can't build yourself up by um, trying to impress people. Remember that picture of the turtle on top of a post, fence post? Old ranchers used to say, you know what it means when you see, one thing you know for sure, when you see a turtle on the top of a fence post, you know for sure he didn't get there by himself. What happens if you promote yourself to a place where you don't belong? You're going to feel insecure. If you got yourself there, a thousand things can knock you off. But if God puts you there, you're going to be secure. Because when God exalts you, you belong and your confidence is what he has done. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. That's why Jesus told the story, the wonderful practical parable in Luke chapter 14 because Jesus saw people promoting themselves. They would go to banquets, and they were really afraid of being seen as a lowly person, and so they would try to take a seat of honor at the banquet. They didn't want the lowest seat. Jesus said, when you go to a wedding banquet, don't take the seats of honor. Somebody more distinguished than you may have been invited, and then when the host comes, he'll come to you and say, Give your place to another man, and then in humiliation, you'll have to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Don't promote yourself. So when the one who invited you will come to you and say, friend, move up higher, then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And here's the, here's the bottom line. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're sitting on top of the fence post because you did it by your own effort and self-promotion, you're going to feel so insecure that you put yourself there. Coach Wooden calls this unearned confidence, entitled confidence. He says this comes from people feeling entitled to praise or entitled to their success. And the result is they feel entitled to future praise and future success 
even without hard work and preparation. Don't put your confidence in what other people think about you and bragging and boasting to other people. Confidence comes when God exalts you. When God puts you up there, this is confidence. And people look and they point at you and say, there's one th- I know that person. There's one thing I know for sure. She couldn't have got there by herself. He couldn't have got there by himself. God put him there. Love never boasts, 1 Corinthians 13 says. So love God. Don't try to build yourself up. There are a couple of other reasons why trying to self-promote is actually counterproductive. I'll talk about those in a devotion this week. Second thing I want you to point out, though, is our confidence comes when we see our confidence is in God's work in us and through us. Paul goes on, he says, I don't need letters of recommendation because, verse 2, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Paul says, my, my confidence doesn't come from self-promotion or what other people think. It comes from the substance of what God has done through me. God's endorsement is in the work that he's do- doing in you. See, we judge things according to their performance, don't we? We judge a car according to its performance. We judge a school by its graduates. We judge a band according to the quality of its concerts. We judge a drunken ribeye, not by the recommendation of the preacher, but by your own experience, right? If you go there and it's gristly and cold, it doesn't matter what I say. It's the result. It's what you experience that matters. We assess the owner of a professional football team by how many losing seasons his team has had, you see. Paul says, you are our letter. God is working through you. And that's what builds my confidence. By the way, it's a good place to pause here. And just remember, people are reading us all the time. There are people who may not, there are people who long for, maybe they read the Bible or come to church. They will read Jesus by observing your life. That's what Paul says here. And it's good for us to remember that. If we don't, we can be embarrassed. I know I have at times, I may be impatient with somebody, and then Laura will say, so Brett, you can go share the love of Jesus with that person now? Not very effective. I remember several years ago, I was driving west on 66. I was actually starting to merge into traffic, and there was room for me to merge into the next lane. But you ever, in that situation, you're, you've got to merge. The, your your, your uh, lane is is, is um, forcing you to merge. There's room, but the person behind you, that person in that next lane behind, hits the gas to go, for, to go faster, so you have to go behind them. Well, that's what the guy did to me, and I thought, how rude. I mean, it, it's too much just to let me in when there's, but you have to speed up to make sure I go behind you. And I looked over, and I realized it's a guy that goes to New Life. It was a guy that I married. I did, performed his wedding. And I thought, I wonder what he, how he would feel if he realized he just cut, cut off the pastor. <laughs> I wonder if he, how he would feel if he realized, I can't wait to share this illustration on Sunday morning. <laughs> now, every, every man that I have done their wedding now is wondering, was I the one that cut him off? You will never know, will you? People are always reading us, aren't they? They're reading us to see if we are kind or impatient, honest or deceptive, generous or stingy. You 
are a testimony to Jesus. You are a testimony of New Life Christian Church. Paul says, you yourself are our letter known and read by everybody. Now, to be practical here, that means our confidence is built as we obey God moment by moment. The foundation of confidence is character. Again, I go back to Coach Wooden, who says, confidence comes from being more concerned with building your character than building your reputation. Character is who you are. Reputation is who people think you are. Reputation may come and go. Character is the rock that you build your life on. So confidence comes in building character, in building the things we can control. See, confidence will never come by worrying about things we can't control. You can't control how gifted you are. You can't control what family you grew up in. You can't control all the opportunities that you had in front of you and uh, whether you had more or less than somebody else. You can't control how other people treat you. You can't control the way the ball bounces, the way the ref makes calls. You can't control anything, but you can't control, you can't control everything, but you can control your character, your effort, your preparation. I love the wisdom of James chapter 1, where James concludes the chapter by saying, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he slides in a little wisdom there that is really easy to miss. He says, be doers of the word so that you will be blessed in what you do. Obedience is its own reward. Because when you obey, your confidence is built, your confidence in God, even your confidence in yourself. When you disobey, your confidence is eroded, right? You want to destroy your confidence, then sin. Live a life of sin. That'll erode your confidence in yourself and what God can do through you. You want to erode your confidence, then take the attitude of a victim. I say this, I, I want to make this really clear when I spend this time, because we live in a generation where People are constantly being told, you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. George Moriarty was a major league umpire. There was only one I in his name, and baseball players used to make fun of him, claiming that there was also one I in his head that he used to umpire with. But this is what George Moriarty wrote. He says, sometimes I think fates must grin as we denounce them and insist. The only reason we can't win is the fates themselves have missed. Yet there lives on an ancient claim, we win or lose, within ourselves. The shining trophy, trophies on our shelves can never win tomorrow's game. So you and I know deeper down there's a chance to win the crown, but when we fail to give our best, we simply haven't met the test of giving all and saving none until the game is really won. Of showing what is meant by grit. Of fighting on when others quit. Of playing through, not letting up. Of bearing down, that wins the cup. Of taking it and taking more until we gain the winning score. Of dreaming there's a goal ahead of hoping when our dreams are dead, of praying when our hopes have fled, yet losing, not afraid to fall, if bravely we have given all. So the fates are seldom wrong. No matter how they twist and wind, it's you and I who make our fates. We open up or close our gates on the road ahead or the road behind.
you want to undermine your confidence, then blame your life on your, your circumstances, on how other people treat you, on not having the opportunities and the abilities and the, the, the gifts of others, things beyond your control. You want to undermine your confidence, tell yourself you can't resist temptation. You're the victim of others' actions and your own desires. Blame everything on somebody else or somebody, someone else. You want confidence? Jettison this whole victim, ontological victimhood attitude that people have. You're not a victim of birth. You are a creation of God. And He is sufficient to give you all that you need. Obedience is its own reward, you see. You want to have confidence? Then when tempted, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You feel selfish? Serve instead. You feel greedy? Sacrifice. You feel angry? Forgive. You feel impatient? Take a breath. You feel afraid? Act in faith and obedience to God. You feel like sleeping in on Sunday morning? You remember, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. You don't feel like reading the Bible? Read the Bible anyways. Don't be tyrannized by your inner voice. Don't be beaten up by your circumstances. Follow the voice of the good shepherd who will lead you down right paths and you will say, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. You want confidence? Make disciples. Paul says, my confidence is in God's work, in you. The disciples that he was making, leading. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Bob Buford said, my fruit grows on other people's trees. His confidence was the fruit that God was doing, producing through other people that he had blessed and, and, and discipled. Children's workers, you want confidence? Let your confidence grow as you see the children that you're teaching come back week after week because they want to hear more about Jesus and they, and, they start, and they love the church because they know you love them. Part of the reason I'm a minister is because I knew I was loved in the church. Worship teams. You know what gives us confidence? It's not our ability, not your ability. Your, what gives confidence is when you're up here leading and you know God is at work and people are experiencing Him they're coming before the throne and their lives are being enriched. You're God's hands and feet. Parents, your confidence ought to be boosted when your children choose church activities over staying at home. When your children own their faith and it's no longer just your faith that they're carrying. When your children invite their friends to church activities even though it's a risk. When your adult children start sharing their faith with their children, passing on the love of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Kathy McMillan came up to me and said, but I want to tell you something. She was holding her son, Nathan, who I think is about five years old. She said, do you remember last year on Christmas Eve, you, pre you said that everybody should read the Bible every day. She said, Nathan heard that. And he makes sure he reads the Bible every day and he wants to make sure the rest of us read the Bible every day. 
Kathy and Mac ought to feel a confidence that God is using them as a parent. Because he is. I know nothing brings more joy to my parents than that their children are committed to Christ and serving. My mom has one verse already printed on her gravestone. It's from 2 John. It says, I rejoice greatly that I found all my children walking in truth. What gives you confidence? Small group leaders, you know what ought to give you confidence when people come back to your small group and they're learning the Bible and their lives are being changed because you're providing the environment for that. Celebrate recovery people ought to be the most confident people in this church because God uses them to change people's lives. People come into Celebrate Recovery who are broken and have been rejected in other places and feel defeated, so defeated, but they find and celebrate recovery a group of people who loves them, who accepts them, who will walk with them and help them find new life in Christ. How do you build confidence? Build confidence in God knowing that you are His hands. Paul says we are writing a letter through other people to the world, not written in ink, written in the spirit on the human heart. Paul says also our confidence then comes from our confidence in God's competence, not our own. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Underline that, our adequacy is from God. You know this is completely counterculture, right? You will not hear this outside the Bible. Conventional wisdom today is believe in yourself. Emerson said, trust thyself. Psychology Dictionary defines self-confidence as an individual's trust in his or her own abilities, belief that he or she can successfully face day-to-day challenges and demands. Most of our children, this is what they're being taught every day. You've got to believe in yourself. got to believe in yourself. got to have confidence in yourself. But I tell you, if my confidence is in my abilities, my ability to face my challenges every day, I'm never going to be confident because, you know, and you aren't either because, you know, no matter how much we know, there's always so much more we don't know. No matter how well we do, there's always somebody who's going to be disappointed, somebody who could do better. And often the person who's most disappointed is is you, disappointed in yourself, no matter how hard you try, no matter how confident we may be in ourselves Reality is always teaching us, you can't be confident in yourself. You could have a heart attack. You could be hit by a car today. You can't control it. People you rely on may get cancer. Your mate may be unfaithful, and you can't stop it. You may be treated unjustly. Dan Snyder may not sell the team. I mean, there's so many things outside of our control that just remind us. I can't trust in my own abilities. And no matter how capable you are, the older you get, the more you lose your capabilities. You start to lose your eyesight. You start to lose your hearing. Your energy diminishes. For some of us, your hair abandons you. I played basketball all the way through high school, which I know is really obvious to everybody whenever they look at me. I played all the way through high school, and yet today, to be honest with you, I would be embarrassed to get on a basketball court. Your abilities diminish 
And it happens really fast. When my wife and I were 30, like 35 years old, we had some staff that were in their 20s. And I remember they started talking about us like we were over the hill. You know, like we were really old. And I'm thinking, we're, we're in our 30s. It's just because they're in their 20s. It happens so fast. The good news for followers of Jesus Christ is our confidence is never in ourselves. It's in God. Verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Do you feel adequate to God's calling on your life? I don't know that I've ever felt adequate to leave to lead new life. Maybe three days over a 30-year period I have, and then I realized I was wrong. Um, in fact, there, were, there was a time I went through a significant crisis of confidence years ago. New life was plateaued. Um, we were still in high school. We had, were having trouble getting into a building. And things weren't, people hadn't given enough for us to get into a building. And, um, and there were some that were disappointed in my leadership, deservedly so. And there were some that thought that, that the fault was mostly mine and that I needed to leave, that I couldn't leave, leave, should not be leading new life anymore. I was in over my head. And I remember at that point, I've shared with you before, um, Bob Russell has, has been a mentor of mine through the years. And at that point, Bob was still in ministry. He was, the church, his church at that point was about 18,000 people in Kentucky, the largest church in Kentucky which I know is kind of like saying the tallest man in the Andrews family. Um, not saying a whole lot. Um, but at any rate, the, um, you, you, I found that much more enjoyable, I know, than you did. See, we're not very tall, the men in this family. At any rate, um, and, uh, and so I called Bob and said, Bob, I, I just, I, I, I need some wisdom on this. I feel like I'm in way over my head. And after listening to me for a while, Bob said, Brett, Brett, I have never had a moment in ministry where I didn't feel like I was in over my head. He shared several things, but I'll never forget, like, for instance, he said, Brett, every time I preach, I feel like I'm in over my head. Because I know I'm preaching to people who are a lot smarter than I am, better educated than I am, have a lot more degrees than I do. I'm preaching to leaders who are better leaders than I am who are leaders of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, national political leaders. He says, Brett, every time I write a sermon, I, I live in fear that it's not going to be adequate to the, to the congregation. And he shared other examples as well. But then he went on to say, Brett, I'm convinced that any minister who does feel adequate to the call is either arrogant because he's overestimating his own ability or he's lazy because he doesn't understand the high calling of Christ, what God would really do with, through us if we are totally surrendered and have his vision in our lives. And I learned in that time, I remember having conversations saying, what, what trumps competency or calling? And I came to the conclusion, God's calling always trumps competence. If you are only doing things because you think you're adequate, you think you're competent, then you aren't following God's calling on your life. You're just doing what you can do to trust in yourself. 
You're not doing anything to trust in God. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. Who are you trusting? You trust in yourself or you trust in the Lord? So quit trusting in yourself. If you put confidence in your words, you're going to be disappointed because your words are going to fail. But Jesus' words never fail. Jesus' provision never runs dry. His vision is never too small. His memory never forgets. His power is never insufficient. His wisdom is always right. Psalm 20, verse 7, some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Let's read that another way. Some take pride in self-confidence and what they see in themselves. We take pride in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Self-confident people, they'll collapse, they'll fail. But we rise and stand firm because our confidence is in the Lord and he never fails. Is it any wonder that so many people are anxious today trying to believe in themselves when they know they can't? There's a Christian writer who actually claims to be a Christian, I'm not sure, but she's, a, she's very popular. She's written, you are good enough right now. Now, I understand her desire. She's saying, God loves you just as you are right now. But friends, you are not good enough right now on your own as you are. You're only good enough in Christ and following him. Philippians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. And that word content is the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for the word competence. I've learned how to be competent. I know how to live on almost nothing and on everything. I've learned the secret. I can do all things, everything through Christ who gives me strength. What would God do through you if you really had your confidence in him and not yourself? Harriet Tubman was born a slave on a plantation in Maryland in 1822, frequently beaten. She was, she remembered, talked about the day that her sisters were sold and she never saw them again. She talks about the day that they tried, they came to sell her brothers, but her mother said, anybody who walks through that door, I will split their head open. You're not taking my sons, and they didn't. She learned some courage from her mom. She also learned trust in God. She learned the Bible from her mom, developed deep faith at age 26 when she found out she was about to be sold. She ran away, took a 90-mile journey through the Underground Railroad to freedom in Pennsylvania. Once there, she made a very dangerous decision that she could not have been adequate for on herself, by herself. She decided she was going to go back and risk her freedom to set others free. For eight years, she led almost 300 slaves to freedom, over 300 slaves, and she never lost one. Even though there was a $40,000 bounty on her head, which today would be the equivalent of a $1.5 million bounty, and yet she was never found. That's a lot of motivation. She never lost one. And she said her confidence came from God. She credited him. It wasn't me, she said. It was the Lord. I always told the Lord, I trust in you. 
I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you, Lord, to lead me. And he always did, she said. Abolitionist Thomas Garrett once observed, I've never met any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God than Harriet Tubman. What would God do through you if you really believed that his calling was more important than your competence, that your adequacy is through him and not yourself? Humble yourself before the Lord that he will lift you up. That is Harriet Tubman confidence. God is calling you to swim in waters over your head, waters that you would never sweep, s- s- swim in unless you trusted his provision, his strength. It occurred to me last service, I, I think it's one of the reasons why God calls us to give to him first of our finances. Let me ask you, what one action will you take today that you are not adequate to take, except it is God's calling, and he will, make, he will make the adequacy. He will provide the adequacy. One of the reasons God calls us to give first, Jesus, to him, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we give first to God, what are we saying? We're saying, I don't, how many of you have ever given to God and said, if I trust God with this because he's calling me to give this, I am not adequate to make it on my own. I'm going to have to trust his adequacy. But it is his calling, and I will obey. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ before God. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. What great thing would God do through you if you really had your confidence in his adequacy? If you really saw yourself through his eyes and the confidence that he has in you, surrendered to him, what one action will you take? Well, there's one more point to make, but obviously we're out of time. I'm going to have to share that in a devotional. But I would share with, I would leave you with this encouraging story that I read recently. There's a preacher who was really tired. He was weary, worn out, discouraged, felt overwhelmed. He was driving home one day after a long day, kind of feeling a bit sorry for himself. And he said it was like a bolt of lightning. God provided for him, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He said, he just suddenly started to laugh out loud. He said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. And the more he thought about that, the more it made his doubts and uncertainties seem so absurd. He said, I thought, and, and he says, all of a sudden I'm realizing it's like I'm a little fish who's really thirsty, troubled that if he drinks, he'll drink the river dry. But the river says to him, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for thee. He says, it's like I'm a little mouse who's been eating in the granary for years with plenty of food, but now I'm afraid the food's going to run out. And the granary says to me, cheer up, little mouse. My granary is sufficient for thee. He says, like I'm a 
man walking on a remote mountain trail saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere when the skies open up and say, breathe away, O man, and fill your lungs completely. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. Listen to the voices this week that will tell you to be insecure because you're alone in this world. Because there isn't a God who is sufficient for you. And they'll make you fearful if you listen. This man concluded, little faith will bring our souls to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to our souls. Great faith allows us to see ourselves with the confidence that God has for us. What if you could just see yourself through God's eyes? What would it do to your soul? It is a great day when you can say with the Apostle Paul, my adequacy is in Christ. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and you obey, and he builds your confidence in him as well as in yourself. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do your will in our lives right now. I pray that you would be clear on some calling for each of us, some act of obedience, even an act that that, that exposes our inadequacy and forces us to trust you, not because it's our idea. Lord, we, we, we will not go unless you go ahead of us. But Lord, if you go ahead of us, we will walk with you. We want to walk with you. Not because we want confidence, but because we want you. And we want what you want for us, to know that you are a father who loves us, more than we could ever imagine, but it's a love that we will never experience this side of trust in you. So Lord, do your will right now in our time together. Through Christ I pray, amen.